Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into true crime cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of true crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And welcome to Continuation of Shocktober. And I have something very shocking for you. Oh, that are large. We're shocking the audience. Ooh, rattling the bones. Them bones, them bones. The raccoon bones. If you don't listen to the previous episode, thank you, Brandy, for our little raccoon penis bones. And then we have our little kangaroo scrotum sack full of little crystal penises that we shake for good luck. We're getting we're a little off to a good start. We're getting a little charmy, penisy. Yeah, I mean we've got a lot of dicks and a lot of charms here. I'm that waiting. We're, we're stroking way too many things for luck at this point. I know. I'm waiting for the review that says these women are obsessed with dicks. Yes, it's gonna happen at some point in time. That's all, all right. Are. That's all right. Anybody who tells you different doesn't like dicks. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know what to say there. Right. Yep, that's the morning. We're drinking mimosas, Uh and it's afternoon now. We just started in the morning. Yep, yep. We're doing our second recording for today, so we're a little mimosa up. But I, but it's perfect timing because your case was serious that you did this week. You did a wonderful job presenting your first case. It was amazing. People are going to love it. And now I have something a little fun for us. Not as fun as screaming like a banshee. Okay, but there's no murder. But it is still a shocking abduction case. And I think it'll be it'll be a good transition to our afternoon here of, of recording. So this is the abduction of Betty and Barney Hill. Betty and Barney? Betty and Barney. Isn't that precious? They're giving me Flintstone vibes. They are so precious. They lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Now, Barney um, was born in 1922. And Betty, who was actually born uh, Barrett, it was her previous last name, was born. It's in, a lot of bees. It was. A lot of peace. Uh, was born in 1919. Okay. You will love this. So Barney was a United States Postal Service worker. And Betty was a, was a CPS social worker. Ooh. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. They were active in there. She's in the game. She is. She is in the game. She's seen it all. And she's about to see more. So these two were active in the Unitarian congregation at their church. They were also members of the NAACP and community leaders. And Barney sat on a local board of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Oh, wow. Because Barney and Betty were an interracial couple at a time that it was not well accepted in the United States. Barney was black, Betty was white, and this case takes place in the 1960s. Okay. So Barney actually worked the night shift at the post office and he would have to drive 60 miles just one way to get to his job. Of course, Betty working with child welfare cases was not any easier than Barney's job for sure. So they didn't have a ton of free time together. And what free time that they did have, they would devote to their church or their activities related to the civil rights movement of the time. So they decided after they had been married for 16 months, they were going to go on a road trip, a very well-earned little honeymoon because they actually did not take one for their, uh, when they got married. Well, after 16 months, you still like each other enough to want to go away that long. So that's adorable. Isn't it? 
but this was a spontaneous trip. They went uh, through Montreal and Niagara Falls for this little honeymoon, and they had left so impulsively that they had... They didn't even stop at the bank before the bank closed for the weekend. They got in their car with the less than $70 cash in their pockets. They they, gra- they packed a suitcase. They grabbed what cash they had mm-hmm. and said, baby, let's get out of here. Let's go for the weekend. So romantic. I agree. You know, they had just a, just a quick weekend getaway. Now, on the last night of their three-day trip, they were sipping coffee in a Vermont diner to recharge before their drive back. Barney had kind of figured that they, as long as they drove all the way through, they were going to beat the rains and winds. There was an approaching hurricane. Okay. In Vermont? Um, On the East Coast. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yep. Coming on the East Coast. And so they were expected to get some of that. They didn't want to get into the rain. Mm -hmm. So he's like, you know, if we just push through, we're going to be good. They leave the diner around 10 p.m. thinking that they would reach their Portsmouth, New Hampshire house between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. at the very latest. This was September 19th, 1961, about 10.30 p.m. So they were only about 30 miles away from their little diner. Their lives would change forever as they drove down the empty wide wide. Winding. Winding. I'm sorry, I have a little bit of a stuffiness going on. Drink some more mimosa. It's got orange sure juice in it. Yes, vitamin mm. C. Sometimes you just need orange mm. juice. So they're driving down the empty, winding country road in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Now, they had not seen a car for miles. And then all of a sudden, they saw a, a light, a strange kind of light that seems to be following them a little bit. It's a bad horror movie. It is kind of set up in the beginning like a horror movie. That's what it's feeling like. So, of course, at first they're looking at it and Betty's like, you know what? That actually almost looks like it could be a falling star. Okay. But the light is kind of moving upwards. Then all of a sudden it's moving erratically. And then it's getting bigger and brighter. And Betty is kind of getting panicked and is asking Barney to stop the car for a closer Look, this is behind them. This is behind them. Like they're seeing it in the rear view. Yes. And she's physically turned around looking out her window. Oh, I can see it now. Can can you? You'd be like, Matt, pull the fuck over. Pull the fuck over, Matt. I would be panicking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you weren't laying on the ground because you're tiny and you could fit down there in between the seat and the dashboard. I'm just like, you're on your own, pal. (laughs) (laughs) Drive careful. They also had their dog, Delcy, with them. And so for Betty, she's like, if you just pull over, you know, we can get a better look at this thing or let it pass us, whatever. And Delcy can go to the bathroom. So Barney stops at a scenic picnic area just south of Twin Mountain. Did you say, is it daytime? It's or is not. It it's not? 1030 You said 1030 at night. So it it's is dark. It is. Yep. Now, Barney is actually an avid plane watcher and a World War II vet. Oh. So he is like, Betty, you got to chill the fuck out, man, because there's nothing to worry about. It's either just a satellite or it's something like a satellite that went off course or it's possibly a helicopter, you know, something of a that plane. sort. Yeah. Yep. Um. But Betty is not convinced. She's like, you know, and at this point in time, as they keep going, this light kind of seemed to move with their car. It zigged, it zagged. It was ducking past the moon, behind the trees, mountain ridges, and then it would reappear moments later. Sometimes it almost seemed like this illusion where it was like a game of cat and mouse where it was moving with them. 
Betty had grabbed Barney's binoculars at this point in time. And so she is looking, she's kind of hanging out of the passenger's side, like before Barney pulls over on this scenic route, still trying to tell him like through her binoculars, this is what it's looking like. It's looking like an odd shape like craft almost so a ufo i want you to pull over so she does but she she describes these as multicolored lights they travel across the face of the moon um now interesting that you say ufo because betty had heard from her sister years earlier betty's sister had sworn that she saw a flying saucer this is that time frame Mm mm-hmm Sure is. And so Betty's Are like, you giving me an alien kidnapping case for now? <laughs> Didn't take you long to put it together. Well, I told you it was the abduction of Betty and Barney Hill. I'm a, I'm a smart lady sometimes. <laughs> Fuck me. I, I can't wait, wait for you to figure it out. I'm like, well, good God, woman. Give me the I'm aliens. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it's it. It's October and I was shocked. I know. It was perfect. All right. Keep shocking me, baby. <laughs> It's a good one. Okay, I'm listening. Don't shut off the podcast. If you guys are like, I don't believe in this stuff, that's fine. But if you, you guys hear don't, these details. you're right there with me. We can mm-hmm. all ha- hold hands together and see what she's going to slap in our faces. <laughs> it's better than six tiny dicks, I'll tell you. Okay. So Betty's thinking at this point in time, oh my God, are we observing this? Barney grabs the binoculars and is like, dude, this is not, no, it's a commercial airline traveling towards Vermont on its way to Montreal. That is what this is. However, then as he's looking through those binoculars, he's like, you know what? The craft is rapidly descending towards our direction. And he realizes this object is not a plane. Like it can't, it's not moving like a plane. It can't be a plane. Now, remember, he's an avid plane watcher and a World War II vet. So he knows how planes move in the air. So they quickly return to the car and drive towards Fransonia Notch, which is a narrow mountainous stretch of the road. Now, Barney, this is what Betty says. Barney, if you think it's a satellite or a star, you're being completely ridiculous. That's a quote from her. And this is the thing, though. Barney had an IQ of 140. Okay. He's a smart feller. Yes, he is. And there are books on this case. I want to cite them. You know, the links are in our show notes, of course. But John G. Fuller wrote a book in 1966 called The Interrupted Journey. And so he talks about how brilliant Barney really is and not a guy to just have loose senses, essentially. Um, Then the Hill's niece also wrote a book called Captured the Betty and Bill Hill Experience. And her name is Kathleen Marden. So she wrote a book as well on this. So They're letting us know that we aren't dealing with simple-minded folk. Exactly. I, I mean, that's that's exactly why they, I think that they both had put and that in their books. And I hope that someday if I tell an incredulous tale that no one believes, they'll think that about mm-hmm. me. Exactly. But she has an incredibly high IQ. She, she does well at her job. We must listen. It's not like she, it's, you it's, know, drinks yes. some mimosas bad, bad and wine and says fuck <laughs> took a nap out in the sidewalk and woke up going well that's weird all kinds of things hurt right right i remember bright lights we're gonna get to things hurting in the bright lights um, for sure of course we are it should also be noted that ben and barney hill ben, ben betty <laughs> i just changed the hey, narrative of that story that's okay we can make this equal here it could have been either <laughs> it could have betty and no barney judgment hill. betty you do you they 
um, were not known to engage in any sort of hallucinogens at any time. They weren't alcoholics. We're not dealing with the struggles of addiction. Or right. And to like our knowledge, that. they weren't probing each other anally for sexual pleasure. No, I mean, if they, to make sure. if they were, they did not disclose that. I mean, um, it was the 60s. If you did, I think you'd disclose it. We were free then. We were free. We were freely allowed to do that. that. Yeah. Now we can only joke about it. So the, the Hills said that they continued driving on the isolated road, moving very slowly through a Fransonia notch in order to observe the object as it came even closer. At one point, the object passed above a restaurant in a signal tower on top of Cannon Mountain and then came out near the old man of the mountain. This stuff doesn't mean anything to us, but people who are from New Hampshire probably know exactly what we're talking about. Betty testified that it was at least, which is to say she said, um, that it was at least one and a half times the length of a of the granite cliff profile. Okay, so it's bigger than the cliffs that they're driving through, which was 40 feet and that it seemed to be rotating. So the couple watched as the silent illuminated craft moved erratically and bounced back and forth in the night sky. About a mile south of Indian Head, they said, the object rapidly descended toward their vehicle, causing Barney to stop in the middle of the highway. The huge, silent craft hovered 80 to 100 feet above the hills, because it's bigger than the actual um, mountain It wasn't going to fit down there in between. Mm -mm, Nope. And it is hovering above their 1957 Chevy Bel Air. My mom had one. That's a great car. It was. And it filled the entire field of view in the windshield. So as they're looking straight at it, all right? I picture it. It reminded Barney of a huge pancake. Now, Barney is loaded. He's carrying. He's got a pistol in his pocket. Fuck yeah, you do, Barney. And he had he was forced to stop in the middle of the road because here's this, this craft hovering, you know. And they get out and... I lost my spot, got it. He's got his pistol. He stepped away from the vehicle and he moved closer to the object. Using his binoculars, Barney claimed to have seen eight to 11 humanoid figures who were peering out of the craft's windows looking at him. I'm just picturing like a deer in the headlights. Like, I'm looking at you, looking at me. And I'm picturing aliens on a nice family outing who have stopped really quickly to observe some creatures and they're like, look at this one. He has something in his hand. Yeah, look at look at that. Like they're innocently watching the, mm-hmm. the safari. In unison, all but one figure moved to what appeared to be a panel at the rear wall of the of the hallway that encircled the front portion of the craft. Okay, I'm, I mean, just like we see, now, I'm picturing it. I will outside, say this: big window. Their experience did shape a lot of what pop culture uses to have alien invasions and depict what alien aircraft and alienoids may look like. Okay, this. This did come from their experience. But they were in Vermont or New Hampshire at New this Hampshire. point now. Mm-hmm. The one remaining figure that remained in the craft looking through the windshield, essentially at him, continued to look at Barney and communicated a message telling him to stay where you are and keep looking. So Barney had a recollection of observing the humanoid forms wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps. Red lights on what appeared to be like the bat wing fins on the craft began to telescope out of the sides of the craft and a long structure descended from the bottom of the craft. So like, you know, a handicap ramp. Like a slide. Yeah. 
goes, it descends from the bottom. The silent craft approached to what Barney estimated to be within 50 to 80 feet overhead. Okay. So Barney takes the binoculars away from his eyes. He runs back to his car in a near hysterical state telling Betty they're going to capture us. So the he saw the object again. So he's back in the car and they're trying to bust balls away. I'm right? in, brother. That's what I would have done to yes. start with. Right. I'm not getting out to look at it. Oh, but our, our curious minds. Mm. You know, I know it's called crime curious, but I'm not that fucking curious. I was, would not have stopped if I didn't have to. No, me either. There are rules when it comes to this thing. We've yes. all seen horror movies. Right. Except for me. <laughs> oh, I try not to. You know, remind me and I have some things to assist you with this later, actually. Okay. He saw the object again um, shift in location to now it's directly above the vehicle instead of like in front of it. He drove away as fast as he could, telling Betty to look for the object, like keep your eyes peeled, but I'm, I'm out of here. She rolled down the window. She looked up almost immediately. They heard a, a series of like beeping, buzzing sounds, which they send, they said seemed to bounce off the trunk of their vehicle. It was sound waves, but it was like bouncing off the, the trunk. Oh, they are in the locked and loaded. Oh yeah. They're locked. Yeah. They're in their sights. We're about to beam up. Yes, exactly. I know it. I know it's coming. So the car vibrated and a tingling sensation passed through the hill's bodies. They said that they experienced an onset of an altered state of consciousness that, and that left their minds dulled. A second series of beeping or buzzing sounds returned to returned them to full consciousness, and they found that they had traveled nearly 35 miles south, but only had vague, spotty memories of this section of the road. They recalled making a sudden, sharp, unplanned turn, encountering a roadblock, and observing a fiery orb in the road. They came to around two hours and 35 miles. It was two hours had passed in that 35 miles down the road okay so arriving home at dawn they felt dirty they asserted that they had some weird sensations and impulsive that impulses that they could not really explain so betty insisted on keeping her luggage near the back door rather than the main part of the house and their watches both of their watches that had worked previously to this encounter <sighs> never worked again weird i don't like that stuff i know this is called so this time lost yeah. that they, you know, that they have, this is what later researchers become very intrigued with of like, okay, you, you recognize that you went into an altered state of consciousness and then you came to two hours lost in your lives and 35 miles down the road from where you originally remember losing consciousness. One must assume that if we're dealing with some type of a higher life form, they have the proclivities to be able to give us amnesiacs the same as we do. Definitely. I mean, surgical medications are, are amnesiacs. We are fucking basic beings. Let's We're be basic. real. We're we the are, basic bitches of the universe, we people. We are. A hundred percent. You've got to know that there has got to be other planets with way smarter beings than us. We have to tell people not to eat fucking Tide Pods. Okay? You are right. So we are <laughs> the worst. <laughs> all kinds of warnings on all kinds of products. Yes. I bet aliens don't have those. You know, as a lawyer, Megan, that there's a lot of laws that exist because of the stupidity of humanity. Well, so, come on. I mean, I don't want to go that far. I'm sure that there were all kinds of these things that occurred back in the Stone Ages, too. I'm sure. But you don't hear about any aliens abducting those morons. <laughs> it's they, always us. It's always us. 
And I don't blame them. So Barney said that the leather strap for his binoculars was torn. He couldn't recall tearing it. The toes of his best dress shoes were scraped, um, which would have been a big deal in 1961. Yeah, you polished those bitches. Yeah. He says that he was compelled to examine his genitals in the bathroom. Oh, yeah, that's why. But he did. Because men don't constantly <laughs> examine those anyway. I feel and make sure like it's still there. If I told Matt this part of the story, he would be like, I examine my genitals in the bathroom daily. Well, so, yeah, I, I think, let yes. us know, guys, but I think that's pretty normal. I think it is. So he too. was compelled, this compelled time he did. to examine he his didn't find testicles. Any, he found nothing unusual, but oh. he felt <laughs> like. <laughs> He looks down disappointedly. Well, you guys look the same. <laughs> they couldn't even make it bigger. Daddy's outside going, was there any differences? Were there any differences? <laughs> Please. Shit. No, Go ahead. All the same. He but said he just dejectedly. felt compelled to examine himself. Yep. They took long showers to remove the possible contam- contamination that they felt because like I said they felt dirty I've been on and, those dates yeah so I, I get that and each they each drew a picture of what they had observed so separately they're oh. drawing yep mm-hmm. so a good idea I I thought that too well he does have an IQ I of do. 140 humans remember things differently and mm-hmm. they do in, in real life too not that this isn't real life but with real cases they do criminal cases and, and I'm glad that you said that because I'm later going to I was going to pull at that and say, this is why sometimes, and there are a lot of cases where people are solely convicted on eyewitness testimony. Oh, yeah. And it is not okay, man. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, because we all interpret and look at things differently. That's why there's specific jury instructions that judges give mm-hmm. for juries to take these things into consideration. You just have to listen to the directions. To the instructions. Mm-hmm. You listen and you read the instructions before you start drawing the paper. You saw that too, right? I did. There was a tiny little fruit fly because we have orange juice. And I'm reaching at him like he's a gossamer strand. And I'm like, (laughs) I missed him. And then you're reaching for it. And all of a sudden we're reaching into the air while we're talking about aliens. I know. If Matt walks by right now, he'd be like, Jesus, she needs to fucking leave. When we go to video episodes, people are going to be very entertained. All right. Well, I will put on makeup and wear a bra. Oh, no bras required. That actually is going to be a tagline for our podcast, I think. Crime curious. No bras required. Oh, well, it is for me. Uh, so the Hills said that they tried to reconstruct the chronologic, you know, events as they witnessed, you know, the UFO as they're you know, now thinking that that's what happened. And they drove home immediately as they're trying to as they're talking to each other, Megan, and they're trying to recall from point A to when they get home. Their heads start buzzing with sounds and their memories become fragmented. It's like static on a television. Oh, shit. Is how it kind of sounded to me. Like we are trying to recall, trying to pull that up in our brain, and it's static. And no, it hurts. someone poked around in there. Mm-hmm. After sleeping for a few hours, Betty woke up. She placed the shoes and clothing that she had worn during the drive into her closet, observing that her dress was torn at the hem, the zipper, and the liner. Later, when she retrieved the items from her closet, closet, her closet, she noted a pinkish powder on her dress. So she hung the dress on her clothesline and the pink powder blew away. But the dress was just damaged. So she threw it away and then was like, wait, wait, wait. Nope. She changed her mind, retrieved the dress and hung it back into her closet. And I will tell you right now, 
eventually those they are collected and five five laboratories have conducted chemical and forensic analysis on the dress and there's it doesn't tell us what it was what the substances what substances were found and i find that interesting the government does get involved with them just so you know oh i don't like that we're from the government we're here to help (laughs) (laughs) i work for the government so do i (laughs) a branch of it i'm just saying that's not come on people that's never good when they show up in their swat uniforms and say ma'am i'm gonna need everything from your closet and then they say in their men in black suits right no dude if they look like will smith and they're wearing yeah. the sunglasses you can take whatever you want for sure including me yeah take me with you <laughs> is this a government abduction time <laughs> okay like, i knew it so don't flashy thing me <laughs> so we do we know if there were substances found in the anal- when they analyzed the dress or they don't disclose anything. They don't disclose anything. We just know that that dress went to five different laboratories. So after the first one, they were like, well, that's weird. That's what I was thinking, I mean, too. that's what I'm Better send with. it to my boss at this laboratory. And he's like, now that doesn't track. Let's there send it nothing. to the other guy. Mm-hmm. There's material that is not of this mm-hmm. earth. Now, there were also shiny concentric circles on the car's trunk that had not been there the previous day. Remember, they said that they felt like waves, sound waves were like bouncing off their truck trunk. Betty and Barney experimented with a compass on their vehicle, and they noted that when they moved it closer to the spots, the needle would whirl rapidly. But if they moved it a few inches away from the shiny spots, it would drop down. That's weird, too. Yeah, yeah. Although I do believe that... Aren't compasses done by a magnetic pole and stuff like what? Depending. I mean, I, I just keep thinking of a regular compass, like the ones we used in geometry, where it was the point mm. that you put in the middle mm-hmm. and then you, you're you talking about an like actual the Boy compass. Scout-like compass. Ma- yeah, that mm-hmm. is going to go with magnetic mm-hmm. pole <clears throat> to the poles. Right. On September 21st, Betty telephoned the Pease Air Force Base to report their UFO encounter. She was very scared of being labeled an eccentric. I I don't blame you, buddy. She did withhold some of the details at first, but then on September 22nd, Major Paul W. Henderson telephoned the Hills for a more detailed interview. And so that report, dated September 26th, determined that the Hills had probably misidentified the planet Jupiter. This was later changed to optical condition, inversion, or insufficient, insufficient data. And report 100-1-61, Air Intelligent Information Record. His report was forwarded to the Blue Book Project. Excuse me, it's called Project Blue Book. Oh, ominous. mm -hmm, The U.S. Air Force's UFO Research Project. So when he interviewed them, he was like, "Mm, yeah, probably wasn't a spacecraft. I bet it was planet Jupiter. That's what I'm going to write in my report. But I'm also going to take all of this information and I'm going to forward it to Project Blue Book, the U.S. Air Force's UFO Research Project. CYA. Yep. Within days of the encounter... Betty borrowed a UFO book from a local library, and it had been written by retired Marine Corps Major Donald E. Kehoe. He was also the head of the NICAP, a civilian UFO research group. These things exist. Of course they did. And you said the operative word, which was civilian. Mm -hmm. So this was not a government uh, agency. This was somebody who started their own little investigation. Nope. But this like a PI. An interplanetary private investigator. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to be. And in, it a was, and this book was written by a, a Marine Corps major, Donald E. Kehoe. He was retired. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, so he knew some shit. Yeah, he and was awesome and, shit. And he was and the head of, the of NICAP, and, which was the civilian, you know, he's the head of this civilian research group. Yeah, he started that shit out after he left the military. Right, that's what I'm saying. Okay. This is what I'm it's saying. It's starting to get super, this conspiracy theory is opening wide up right here. Like a pair of spread legs. So <laughs> I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking a drink. On September 26th, Betty wrote to Kehoe, and she related the full story this time, including the details about the humanoid figures that Barney had observed through binoculars. Betty wrote that she and Barney were considering hypnosis to help recall what had happened. His letter was eventually passed on to Walter N. Webb, a Boston astronomer who was also a member of the NICAP. Okay. So Webb met with the Hills on October 21st, 1961. In a six-hour interview, the Hills relayed all that they could remember of the UFO encounter. Now, Barney said that he had developed a sort of mental block that he suspected where some portions of the event um, had happened, but he wishes that he could remember, but he can feel himself being blocked from remembering them. He described in detail all that he could remember about the craft and the appearance of the somehow not human figures aboard the craft. Webb stated in his report that um, they were telling the truth and the incident probably occurred exactly as reported, except for some minor uncertainties and technicalities that must be tolerated in any such observations, you know, where human judgment is involved. And what he means is by that is human interpretation. Right. You try to fill your brain with missing pieces logically. Yes. Our and you don't even know you're doing that. it. Yes. Just like when they were describing the black, shiny clothing. Okay. We're calling it clothing because that's our name for it. They said it, it resembled, it was like a uniform. That's an interpretation, right? Based on knowledge that their brains already had about what uniforms look like. Same things with their hats. Later, Betty describes that she feels like the hats were like military in style because her brain is filling that information in. For all we know, it was a part of their actual brain. Their head, right? Right. But this is how the human brain fills these things in. Their experience ends up kicking off an Air Force inquiry that was part of the secret initiative Project Blue Book, like I had said, okay, that investigated UFO sightings across the country. The incident would also become the first ever widely publicized alien abduction account, and it shapes how stories like it were told and understood from then on. Like I said, how pop culture now talks about, you know, things. There's, of course, a lot of debate that continues whether or not Betty and Barney were liars, fantasists, crackpots, or simply sleep-deprived people who would later recover um, who later recovered seriously scrambled memories from their sleep deprivation, right? Uh, but for both there of is, them to react identically from sleep deprivation, well, that's just, that's hard to believe. I agree. And we're going to get to them going under hypnosis separately. And oh. that's very interesting. Okay. 10 days after the alleged UFO encounter, though, Betty began having a series of vivid dreams. And they continued for five successive nights. Never in her memory had she recalled dreams in such detail and intensity. Okay, so she's not an, a, a vivid dreamer by nature. But these ones were. Mm-hmm. They stopped abruptly after five nights and never returned. So they occupied her thoughts during the day. When she mentioned them to Barney, he was sympathetic but not too concerned, and the matter was dropped. But 
and, and Betty didn't mention them to Barney again, but then in, in November, she began writing down the details of her dreams because they stuck with her so much. And in one dream, she and Barney encountered a roadblock and men who surrounded their car. She lost consciousness. She struggled to regain it. And then she realized that she was being forced by two small men to walk in a forest at night and of seeing Barney walking behind her, though she had called to him, he seemed to be in a trance or sleepwalking. So the men, when I said two small men, she figures the men stood about five feet, five or five feet, four inches tall, somewhere in between there. So is she taller than that? Yes. I, I believe she is. They wore matching blue uniforms with caps similar to those worn by military cadets. That's how she's seeing this in her dream. They appeared nearly human with black hair, dark eyes, prominent noses, and bluish lips. Their skin was a grayish color. In the dreams, Betty, Barney, and the men walked up a ramp into a disc-shaped craft of metallic appearance. Once inside, Barney and Betty were separated. She protested and told and was told by a man that she identified as the leader that if she and Barney were examined together, it would take take much longer to conduct the exams. So they were taken into be into separate rooms. So this this so she understands what they're saying. She does. And these are her dreams that she wrote down in November. She writes these dreams down in November before she undergoes hypnosis. I'm just pointing that out right now. Okay. Betty then dreamt in a, um, that a new man, similar to the others, entered to conduct her exam with the leader, the person she identified as the leader. She called this new man the examiner. That's how she identified him. He was pleasant. He was calm. And the leader and the examiner spoke to her in English, but when they spoke with one another, their dialect was very imperfect. It was difficult to understand them. They were speaking in a different language, and when they spoke English to her, it was difficult to understand. Okay, that makes me feel a little bit... That's why I asked the question earlier, like, you know, as I'm rolling my eyes, oh, yeah, they spoke to her in perfect English. Everything was just like they... Okay. Mm -mm, No. She she really had to strain to understand them. Mm Mm-hmm. The examiner told Betty that he would conduct a few tests to note the differences between humans and the craft's occupants. So in other words, between your species and mine. Okay. He uh, he seated her on a chair and a bright light was shown on her. A man, um, the man then cut off a lock of her hair. He examined her eyes, ears, mouth, teeth, throat, and hands, and he shaved trimmings from her fingernails. After examining her legs and feet, He used a dull knife similar to a letter opener to scrape some skin onto what resembled like cellophane to her. Some type of testing Mm -hmm. equipment. He then Mm, tested the glass slides that used to use the microphone. Yeah, that's what I was picturing. Yeah. He then tested her nervous system and he thrust a needle into her navel, which caused her agonizing pain where and when she started twisting and showing that that hurt, he waved a hand in front of her eyes and the pain vanished. Um, can we get that skill down here? That's a hell please? of a painkiller. Yeah. You are no longer well, in pain, Charlotte. That would be amazing. So then the examiner left the room and Betty engaged in conversation with the person that she, the, the being that she the identified examiner. as the leader. No, oh, the examiner the left the room. So it's just her and the leader. She picked up a, a uh, she put, picked up a book because there was rows of strange symbols on these books. And so she had picked one out. And the leader actually said you could take that home with you. She also asked where he came from, and he pulled down an instructional map dotted with stars. 
to show her where they came from. Okay. In Betty's dream account, the men, the men began escorting the hills from the ship when a disagreement broke out. The leader then informed Betty that she could not keep the book, stating that, that they had decided that the other men did not want her to even remember the encounter. Betty insisted that no matter what they did to her memory, she one day would recall these events. She and Barney were then taken to their car, where the leader suggested that they wait to watch the craft's departure. They did so and then resumed their drive. So another um, part of this as well that I forgot to put in here that I had read was that Betty remembered when she was in the exam room and maybe it comes up during hypnosis. So if I repeat myself during hypnosis, that's fine. But I thought this was kind of a funny detail. When they were examining her, one of them came in from uh, Barney's examination completely flabbergasted because his teeth came out. Did he have dentures? He had dentures. And so she was laughing and explained to them what dentures were and how, you, you know, some people have their teeth can, can come in and out. Mm-hmm. What an interesting detail. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Charnel, you're telling me some stuff. My curiosity is peaked. I know. I lo- I'm telling you, I loved researching this. This is a great story. So they resume their, their drive. Now then, she wrote all of this down in November 1961. And then on November 23rd, 1962, the Hills attend a meeting at the parsonage of their church where there was a guest speaker, Captain Ben H. Sweat of the United States Air Force. Air Force. Having an interest in hypnosis, the Hills approached Sweat privately and relayed their strange encounter. Now, he was Sweat was really interested on the missing time part of their account. So whether he knew something from his time in the Air Force that this was a common denominator amongst these type of encounters, we don't know. But that was what he was really interested in. And so he's like, do you think, he asked the Hills, do you think that you would be willing to undergo hypnosis? And he's like, I am not going to do it because I'm an amateur hypno, you know, hypnotist, but I can connect you with someone who is an expert at this and that's who you should go to. Don't. And he even cautioned them, like, don't just go asking an amateur hypnotist to yeah, hand, we're handle this about situation. Your brain. We're not going to fuck yeah. with your brain. Yep. So on March, on March 3rd, 1963, the Hills first publicly discussed the UFO encounter with a group at their church. So it has been a year and a half at this point in time from their encounter that they first tell people of their, you know, in their friend group about this. Yeah, this isn't sounding like your typical crazy National Enquirer. I was inducted. I was abducted by alien story. No, time went on before they were willing to put this information into people that they know because they knew they were rational enough and sound enough in mind to know how it sounds. Well-respected people who actually were able to identify that this sounds so crazy. Mm -hmm. I don't want people to, to know this. Yes. Yep. And then on September 7th, 1963, Captain Sweat returned and gave a formal lecture on on uh, hypnosis to a meeting at the Unitarian church. After the lecture, the Hills told him, that Barney was actually going to a psychiatrist and um, a, a psychiatrist named Mr. Stevens, who they liked and trusted. And so Captain Sweat was actually like, you know what? Why doesn't Barney ask Mr. Stevens about the use of hypno- hypnosis, you know, in his case? This is bothering 
these people so much to the point where they're getting psychiatric help, which I I can kind of see that. Could you imagine being driven, driven crazy by thoughts that you can't bring to the forefront of your mind, but you know that they're there? Betty was at least able to have those five successive nights of dreams and write them out. Yeah, which had to have been incredibly therapeutic. Mm-hmm. No, that would be... But Barney hasn't. He's got this... He has a high IQ, static. so he's super intelligent, and he's... Yeah, I, I think that would drive me nuts. Yeah. So what Dr. Uh, Mr. Stevens does is refers the Hills to the the Hills. That's their last name, but it sounds weird when you say it in a right. sentence like that. Um, so he refers them to Benjamin Simon of Boston, who's a well-respected hypnotist. hypnotist. We and, don't have them around now. I mean, there are hypnotists, mm-hmm. but you don't hear some of the doctors say, you know, I'm going to send you to a very well-respected hypnotist in the area, Charnel. Yeah. I know. I think research and science has come a long way since then. Yeah. Or maybe we just haven't explored it enough and just, cra- you know, chalk it up to being a crackpot science. They just and figure that the the waves from all of our electronic devices have destroyed our heads true. anyway. So there's just no point. Honestly, if just to be frank, I feel like they're like, meh, this medication will do you just fine. Oh, well, there is that. Mm-hmm. Let's chemically take care of it yep. instead of the powers of persuasion. Mm-hmm. Right. On November 3rd, 1963, the Hills spoke before um, a UFO study group. and the Because two, that was a thing. It was. It was. And the two state UFO study group. Uh, so this happened in uh, Quincy Center, Massachusetts. They traveled to Massachusetts to do that. And they first spoke with Simon, the hypnotist, on December 14th, 1963. Early in their discussions, Simon determined that the UFO encounter was causing Barney far more worry and anxiety than he was willing to admit, hence why he was seeing a psychiatrist. And he did think that it would benefit him mentally if he underwent uh, hypnosis, but also um, he initially dismissed the extraterrestrial hypothesis Okay, he's like, I would have too. I just don't think this is real, but this is clearly causing you so much anxiety and making you so nervous that I think if we if we do some sessions, this could be therapeutic for you. So he began hypnotizing the hills on January 4th, 1964. This encounter happened in 1961. Okay, so we are almost three years, three years out. And they were hypnotized on several times, different sessions. Um, separately separately yes between january 4th 1964 and june 6th 1964 so about six months you know worth simon conducted the sessions of them separately as i said so that they could not overhear one another's recollection at the end of each session he would reinstate amnesia on them why so that they were not plagued by the memories so if this really was an alien abduction his belief is that them wiping the memories would was a good coping mechanism for them. So he's getting the information and then making sure that they don't remember yep. them as they come out in the hypnosis session. Yes, because he also doesn't want them talking about it in their sessions to each other, further convoluting the entire okay. you know, science of it all. I feel some ways about disclosures so, and... But I do, I mean, if you think about it, so if you're- For research purposes, it makes perfect sense. And these two are, you know, they're happily married, so they're going to, they're going to talk about what they remembered from their sessions. Yes. Nothing like laying in bed at night with your spouse (laughs) and you say, 
remember that thing that alien did to me with mm-hmm. that thing? Can you do that? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> On second uh, thought, let's ask the doc to wipe that out. Right. Because that didn't work out so well. It didn't. Oh, shit. That's funny. So Simon hypnotized Barney first. His recall of witnessing non-human figures was quite emotional, punctuated with expressions of fear, emotional outbursts, and just plain being scared. He was terrified. He was. She seemed to handle it better. I. She even was going to read was at one point. Laughing. She's like, I'm going to grab me a book. I do feel like they had different experiences because... She described the leader and her examiner as being, um, it's almost like they had a good bedside manner. Um, Aside from, you know, poking her navel, which we find out later was a pregnancy test. um, But but they wiped the pain from her immediately once they realized, oh shit, we didn't know that would hurt you. Yep. Here, let me fix it. It it almost seemed like they were much more tender. Like she had a different, more tender experience. Um, Maybe females don't look like that on their planet. Very pot. I'm guessing not. We are a pretty hot species. Right. They're like, I don't know what she's got going on there in the front and the back, but I like it. (laughs) Why don't our women come with those holes? (laughs) So Barney said that due to his fear, he kept his eyes closed for much of the abduction and physical examination, which I do think if we're in the realm of this being a possibility of happening at all. Okay, that's that is the realm I'm asking you all to play with me in today. If that really did happen, think about, see, Betty didn't. Betty kept her eyes open. I would. And she engaged with them. I would. Calming her fears, right? Because they really weren't malicious, truly. Oh, no, I'm keeping my eyes open because I'm going to take you down later, mother. And this is why I think that Barney is so scared and comes away from this with so much anxiety because he kept his eyes. He was so terrified. He kept his eyes closed and he could never qualm his fears. So they're heightened in his brain. How interesting. Now, based on his early responses, Simon told Barney that he could not remember the hypnosis sessions until he was certain that he could remember them without being traumatized because Barney is so terrified. Simon does not want him remembering even the details of what he can remember, right? Under hypnosis, and this is consistent with his conscious recall as well, Barney reported that the binocular strap had broken when he ran away from the UFO back to his car. Remember when he turned and was like, oh shit, they're going to abduct us. Yes. I'm going to get in the car and go now. He now, through hypnosis, he now remembers, oh, okay, that is when my my strap broke. He recalled driving the car away from the UFO, but that afterwards he felt irresistibly compelled to pull off the road and drive into the woods. He eventually sighted six men standing in the dirt road. Now remember, Betty did say she was walking into the woods yep. at one point in and time he and he was behind her. her. He recalled in his hypnosis that the car stalled and three of the men approached the car. They had told Barney not to fear him, to fear them. He was still anxious, however, and he reported that the leader told Barney to close his eyes. So while hypnotized, Barney said, I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. What? So his eyes are closed, but he feels like he could still like see them, like their eyes were still on him. Barney described the beings as generally similar to Betty's, um, hypnotic, not her dream recollection, but her under hypnosis. They described them terrifyingly similar. Um, the beings often stared into his eyes and Barney w- had what he felt was a terrifying, like mesmerizing effect of those eyes. Under hypnosis, Barney said things like, oh, those eyes, they're in my brain. 
That was from his first session. Then he said, quote, I was told to close my eyes because I saw two eyes coming close to mine and I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. That's his second hypnosis session. And then he said, quote, all I see are those eyes. I'm not even afraid that they're not connected to a body. They're just there. They're just up close to me, pressing against my eyes. And that was from another hypnosis section session. He is terrified. He is completely. Barney relayed, uh, related that he and Betty were taken onto a disc-shaped craft where they were separated. He was escorted to a room by three of the men and told to lie on a small rectangular table. His narrative of the exam was fragmented because he had kept his eyes closed for most of it, but he recalls a cup-like device placed over his genitals. He did not experience an orgasm, though he is convinced that, the, that a sperm sample had been taken. And he doesn't remember pain? Mm-mm. No. But neither does Betty. There is no pain in either one of their descriptions. She doesn't besides, disclose any um, manipulation her, of her genitals other than her navel. No, it's just the navel. Yep, just the navel in which she does remember that pain, but then remembers they instantly, once they realized she was in pain, they instantly took it away. But they saw those weird jangly looking things on Barney and we're like, let's sick a suction cup on this. For sure. See what happens to this this fella. Let's contain this a little bit. Yeah. Suction cup for you. Yeah, yeah. I think uh-huh. that's a good idea. It looks so angry. <laughs> Why? Yeah, right, exactly. Why is this thing mad at me? <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Well, I guess we, it spit at us. It did. <laughs> the men um, scraped his skin and peered in his eyes and mouth. A tube or cylinder was inserted into his anus very quickly and then removed. But he does remember an, an anal test. Mm-hmm. He does. A rectal test. Yep. Someone felt his spine and seemed to be counting his vertebrae. While Betty reported a conversation with the leader in English, Barney said that he heard them speaking in a mumbling language that he did not understand. Betty also mentioned this detail. A few times. But did they ever talk to him? Um, they, He may not have heard English because they weren't talking to him. Yeah. They were I, talking to her. And I don't, he wasn't willing to no, talk to engaged. them. he's not engaged. He's like, Betty's asking eyes questions. closed tight, hands mm-hmm. clenching the, che- the cheeks. <laughs> the sheets. Fuck. I think he's clenching his <laughs> cheeks after the <laughs> anal probe. Well. I'll tell you that. You said it. <laughs> right. So Betty had also mentioned this detail. The few times that they communicated with him, Barney said it seemed to be thought transference at the time. He was unfamiliar with the word uh, telepathy. So he didn't use the word telepathy. ESP. Yeah, but he is saying they didn't really speak to me like through their mouths and both Betty and Barney actually had said this, like it, they weren't communicating in English with a mouth. It was through my brain, like a, a, a thought transference is what they called it. I dig it. I wish that we would all communicate that I way as we well. I wish we could too. Damn, that would be fun. Uh, I uh, mean, we'd be in so much trouble. I've, I've heard of it. Do you really want people to know what you're thinking? I'm like, dude, I actually say it. Yeah. I have a very, I don't have a filter. It Mm-mm. comes out. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it really wouldn't make a whole no, lot of No, it wouldn't hurt my feelings my, at all. my life. No. He, Barney recalled being escorted from the ship and taken to his car. In a daze, he watched the ship leave, just like Betty had recalled. Barney remembered a light appearing on the road and he said, oh no, not again. And he recalled Betty's speculation that the light might have been the moon, though the moon had set several hours earlier. He also stated that he attempted to produce a code-like buzzing sounds, which seemed to strike the car's trunk a second time by driving um, from side to side and, and stopping and starting the vehicle. 
but his attempt was unsuccessful. So after they were returned, he still felt like they were like about to beam up with yeah. the car again. Well, but he has no recollection at that point in time of what has happened, Mm-mm. right? So right. to all to his knowledge, he's driving along. He has a lapse in memory or time. Like yep. you've been there, right? You've been driving on the road and all of a sudden you go, oh, oh shit, shit, where's the last five minutes gone? Yes. How did I get here? Yes. And so, you know, that is your brain going to sleep briefly. Yeah, it is. And uh, I we do it, cover often. it on our, our spinoff podcast. Absolutely. I, Let's uh, I will discuss cover that. that. It's terrifying. I used yes. to teach about it in my psychology classes. Oh, well, there college. you go. Mm-hmm. We have a volunteer. Thank mm-hmm. you, professor. I will. I, I will. Uh, oh, I'll wear my naughty professor outfit too. Excellent. Does that mean I can wear my naughty schoolgirl yes, outfit? Yes, you can. It'd be a great episode. <laughs> this is videoed, by the way, people. Right, yeah. Our, What's our, Jason going to be? He can just sit in the corner and look creepy. He's going to have a <laughs> pipe. <laughs> That's what he's going to have. Love it. Love it. Oh, we just birthed a new episode. Sorry, guys. You'll hear more about it later, we promise. So, but yes, that is actually your brain going to sleep. And I had wondered about that. I won't lie. Um, I had wondered if Betty had actually fallen asleep and if Barney had went into a sleep-like trance in where there are certain parts of your brain that completely shut off that you don't need to drive um, and to do those muscle memory type of things. But, and then something abruptly wakes them up mm-hmm. and all of a sudden his brain is awake and she's woken up from and actual like, sleep and the they're last like, two what hours? happened? Mm-hmm. What a great explanation because you know I like to be a naysayer and I that. Know, but how did all their clothes get ripped? We're not gonna, well, I don't know how you sleep. <laughs> I have never, I can't say that. I have ripped a t-shirt once. Yeah, but, right? Okay, let's talk about. Or your tank about- top becomes a WWF sumo thing and there's a titty out to the right and the armpits ripped out and you're like, what just happened? And you're all like sideways in your sheet. I've called for help just once. Just don't sleep help in a me. tank top. It's the worst. sleep in a tank top. No, the boobies never stay in the tank top. Well, I do you- find the right ones. I'll, just, I'll send you my recommendation. Okay, because I have never went to sleep in a tank top. Well, don't wear a racer back and don't wear it backwards. That's my advice <laughs> to you. <laughs> Or do. <laughs> or do. Whatever. Whatever you're into. <laughs> Comfort means something different to everyone. It's true. Let's talk about Betty's sessions. Good. I'm so, interested in Betty because she seems like a much more willing participant. Yeah. Yeah. I think Betty was hoping for the anal probe. But <laughs> Betty, sorry, Betty. Betty says under hypnosis that her account was extremely, you know, similar, extremely similar to her five dreams that she had wrote down about, okay? Um, There were some difference, though, mainly pertaining to her capture and her release. Um, And also the technology on the craft was different in her um, hypnosis memory. The short men differed kind of in appearance, and the sequential order of the abduction differed, which that makes sense from a dream state intent then to, quote, reality, um, that the, um, the sequential order would be off of things. Barney and Betty's memories um, in hypnotic regression were, however, consistent with one another. Very, Ooh. very consistent. Betty exhibited considerable emotional distress when, re- distress when recounting her capture and examination. Simon had actually ended one session early because tears were flowing down her cheeks and he felt like he was re-traumatizing her. He was. Mm-hmm. So he then gave Betty the post hypnotic suggestion that she could sketch a copy of the star map that she later described as a three dimensional projection similar to a hologram. Remember when I said that the being had pulled down a map? He actually produced a hologram. He produced a hologram to show her where they are from in the universe. 
through the map, she saw she said that there, the map had many stars and she drew only those that stood out in her memory. Her map consisted of 12 and I will post, a, we have a picture of it. Oh, cool. I will post pictures of this. So her map consisted of 12 prominent stars that were connected by lines and three lesser ones that formed like a distinctive triangle. And she said that she was told by one of the beings that the stars connected by solid lines, that the when the stars were connected by solid lines that were formed, those were trade routes. Cool. Mm -hmm. So we would call them a constellation because we like to, you know, have something to to view to make it Uh, recognizable. Yes. And they're saying they're trade routes. Those are trade routes. And the dashed lines were the less traveled stars. So those are like the country. We've got like the city travel and the country travel. Earth had to have been a rural detour. <laughs> sure. Like there was a construction issue getting to Alpha Centauri. You're and so we right. took the dotted road over to Earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mother Gia. Earth. What is, I, I'm <laughs> right. What You're is so right. Oh my God. What are these things? They're all oh. getting about in these little vehicles oh my god we ended up in the ghetto again <laughs> damn it oh they're all armed at the front window going well somebody better bring one in i, <laughs> right. I don't we better decontaminate Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so after the hypnosis sessions simon speculated that barney's recollection of the ufo encounter was possibly in a fantasy that was inspired by betty's dreams Simon thought that it was the most reasonable and consistent explanation that he could provide because, you know, he's basing himself in reality. Yes. Barney rejected this idea, noting that while their memories were consistent in some regards, there were also portions of both of their narratives that were unique to each other because they were separated. So Barney was now ready to accept that he had been abducted by occupants of a UFO, though he never embraced it as fully as Betty did. But he also did die in 1969, whereas Betty... How old was he? Well, he was born in 19... What did I say? Because they'd only been married for like 15 months, you said? Yeah. So Barney was born in 1922 and died in 1969. Betty was born in 1919, and she lived until 2004. (gasps) Betty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I feel like he died a little bit young. He did. Like, what would that be, like in his 40s? Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Why did he die so young? I don't know. I'm sure that there's an explanation. <laughs> yeah, was he how how impaired as a you know high people of high intelligence and then have something like that happen that's unexplained? I mean, mm-hmm. how how bad was he struggling it's, with it's mental a health? It's a way, yeah, it's a way. You know them. where I'm going with this? I do. Am I worried about how his life ended? Yeah, sorry, no, I'm making a whole bunch of noise now. I I see that with I'm your ass. As a matter of fact, I was I'm sorry. The chair around and well, it's not your fault that I'm old and I have to stretch every <laughs> once in a while. I just slept wrong. Need a yoga stretch in the middle of podcasting. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Can we use yoga balls and implements yep. while we would do this? Tax write-off. Only for the videos, though. Right. So, through, uh, though the Hills and Simon disagreed about the cause of their distress, they all concurred that the hypnosis, ses- hypnosis sessions were effective, and the Hills were no longer tormented by abduction anxiety. So that was good. At the end of the day, something good did come out of those sessions. However, when they were complete, he wrote an article for the Hills for the um, Psychiatric Opinion Journal explaining his conclusions that the case was a singular psychological aberration. Oh. Yeah. 
Because he's not going to go to a respected journal and be like, dude, I think these people were abducted by aliens. You know, it is his career on the line. But he did write it and did write about the But they're the individual people, so he means there were two psychological aberrations. At the same time? And that's what gets me. You know, there are some things that I suppose, because somebody like me who wants to pick these things apart could say, you know, yeah, she wrote her dreams down. Yes, that stuff was shared. Could they have corroborated all of these type of things? Uh, the thing is, I though, don't know. the dream started after they had already contacted the first military outreach. Fair. I mean, truly, I'm thinking. And given he, a story about what they actually remembered, it was the right. part where they don't recall from the time they were taken to the time they were driving down the road going what the fuck just happened do yeah. you remember driving 35 miles they lost two hours of their life also they returned home i don't know if i um for i think i may have skipped over this in my notes and forgot to mention this but they returned home early dawn like hours after they should have because they were supposed to be home between 2 and 3 a.m and they returned home after the sun is already starting yeah to, four or five to, you, so you did mention that it took them like two and a half hours or so to get 35 miles yeah. which i know cars drove maybe a little they didn't drive a little slower there's no, some really fast fucking 60s cars yeah i was just gonna say they might have got home a lot quicker right so yeah no especially with no not having as much traffic on the roads right but yeah that something happened. So there is that too. And nobody thinks they just pulled off for a drug-induced quickie. Mm-mm. No. They'd never used substances Come before or after. Come into the woods. I want to show you something. So I'll tell you that they went back to their regular lives. They were willing to discuss the UFO encounters with family and friends after the hypnoti- hyp- hypnosis session. So I think they were less fearful at that point in time. Um, but they really made no effort to seek publicity. On October 25th, 1965, the front page story of the Boston Traveler asked, UFO chiller, did they seize couple? They didn't seek publicity. Publicity found them. It did. Whoops. It's a good My story. chin just hit you that. That was. I thought it was very graceful. Woo. Just that don't chip a tooth. Aggressive. Sorry. Uh, so, yes, it did find um, them. And then, of course, they find the article that was written in these the uh, psychological opinion journal. So then they're like, "Oh, you underwent hypnot- hypnosis." So then they got, you know, a hold of those interpretations and whatnot too. Well, this um, story is more interesting to the media and in these, um, you know, inquire s gossipy type magazines because there's some scientific stuff to go with it. It's not your run of the mill guy who comes out of no offense anybody but from the the trailer in like what arizona mm-hmm. and says mm-hmm. i was scooped up right. by an alien and they probed my anus isn't that and the then opening scene of independence day <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> and you, you know what describe that well i freaking love those type of movies me too. i love right. alien stuff yeah me too weirdly i don't like horror but i like alien stuff because it doesn't always have to be horror some of them are no, though i think this one really wasn't so in uh, and then in 1966 that's when john fuller wrote his he contacted the hills and they wrote the book the in- interrupted journey about this case the book included a copy of betty's sketch of the star map and it was a quick success and went through many printings and i did somebody find map it, it. 
They did. Yeah, I'm going to show it to you because I have a picture of it. And well, we'll talk what about I mean it in by Napa is, are they going to take her sketch and actually locate it with actual stars in the sky? There's, yes, but there's a lot, there's theories. There's oh, a lot I of theories. It. All We're the astronomers want to argue about that. Okay. Okay. But I, I forgot that I had. You're making, I me see this. you're making me sweat. I'm taking clothes fan off. Is, fan yourself. <laughs> um, but Barney died of a cerebral hemorrhage. On February 25th, 1969, at the age of 46. He basically had a stroke. Yes. And at that point in time, now remember, Betty was much more willing to talk about her encounter. And at, after that, she was like, you know what? I'm going to fully embrace this. And I'm just going to become a, a celebrity of the UFO community. Good and she you, spoke Betty. publicly often about her experience. She does die of cancer October 17th, 2004 cancer interesting at age 85 having um never remarrying oh no but here's the star map do you see this map i'm gonna see if i can blow it up for you you know i like it bigger i know megan needs it bigger (laughs) um and we can't really see yeah i like to consider myself an amateur astronomer from that one class i took in college (laughs) but mostly mostly because you know i like my greek stuff and a lot of them are named after greek mythological things so i'm looking at this thing and these stars trying to see if they look i don't know it looks a little bit like the constellation cassiopeia to be honest but do you see where he's saying these and i'll post this picture for you guys but these are the trade routes because they're the full lines and then here's all these little dotted lines and And where's the sun the well Where's Earth and the kay. Sun? Okay, this is what I want you to know. 1968, so Marjorie Fish of Oak Harbor, Ohio, read John Fuller's book, The Interrupted Journey, where her sketch is of the stars. Okay. Yes. Was published, and she was an she was an elementary school teacher and an amateur astronomer. Astronomer, as you just. Me Dubbed too, yourself. Mrs. Fish. And she was very intrigued by this starfish. Starfish. You just, <laughs> Her last name is Fish. That is fucking fantastic. <laughs> who who accidentally just says starfish? Whether t- it's like you've developed to ret. <laughs> In my defense, look at my next line. Increed, intrigued by the star map, Fish <laughs> wondered if it might be deciphered. Starfish. Uh, just shorten it. Make your own. Starfish now. So what she operates from, she operates, Megan, from the assumption that this large star right here is the sun. Okay. And so this is what she bases all of her research and whatnot on, assuming that this is the sun and then going from there. I think she's wrong. Well, you're not the only one. I think that's stupid. Yes. So another uh, analyst by the the name of, uh, let's see. Oh, she sent her theory to this analyst Webb, okay, a Dr. Webb. And Webb was like, I agree with your conclusions. So then he sends the map to Terrence Dickinson, an editor of the magazine Astronomy. Now, Dickinson did not endorse Fish and Webb's conclusion, but the first time in the journal's history, Astronomy, meaning the, um, the publication, yes, the magazine, invited comments and debate on the UFO report, stating... Or starting with an opening article in the December 1974 issue. And for about a year afterward, the opinion page of astronomy carried arguments for and against Fish's star map. 
I dig so it. So it kind of got, yeah. Yeah, that just doesn't make sense to me because she's picking the biggest star at the start of this trade route to be the sun when yeah. they've obviously gone off course in some way, shape, or form if we're considering this is real. Listen to how I'm talking right now. Well, I told you to operate with I am, me I am. in the basis that this is reality. But if, when but you show people the picture, route. no. And when you show people the picture, they're going to pick one of those dotted lines and go, yeah, that's obviously her. Yeah, right. Right. Most definitely. And I'm sorry, but why? What are we trading on the sun? Coolant? Well, I'm wondering if perhaps they're doing the star maps because the sun obviously is a star and it's not showing their planetary stops on the way. So these are all different, you know, maybe solar systems. Oh, okay. Um, I like that theory. They could be to- entire yeah. systems. And it's just, and if you're going to take this, what I also don't like about fish is if you're going to take this and say, oh, it must be the biggest one. The sun is not that big Mm-mm. of a star. Mm-mm. I was going to point that out too. No, we're, we're a yellow star. Um, we're, we're, we're medium range maybe, yeah. um, with not as much gravitational pulls. One of those little tiny ones. I just, it doesn't make sense to me. She's also operating under the assumption that this map, that this alien being pulled down to point out all the, all she asked, all that Betty is had asked is where are you from? We don't know what fucking universe this is in. He just pulls down a map and is, oh, excuse me, a hologram. Oh my God, he Michiganed he, them. He pulled up He a held up his right hand and yes. he pointed to the middle of his palm and said, I'm, I'm from, from here. Exactly. There is nothing that says this is from our universe. Word. So that in itself was problematic for me. Um, now, I'm going to get into the rebuttals because I know you, these Love are things. me a good rebuttal. You do, you do. And there were plenty of them. So psychiatrists later suggest that the supposed abduction was a hallucination brought on by the stress of being an interracial couple in the 1960s oh, in the United you. States. I don't like that one. Betty and Barney really hated this suggestion because their relationship was extremely happy. And furthermore, it caused absolutely no turmoil amongst their friends and family. They're like, okay, this might've been what the United States was fighting about in the 19 in 1960, but this is not what our family and the way we lived. Barney had and an Betty issue are with. like middle-class, like good jobs in the fucking East coast that just took themselves an impromptu spontaneous trip through Canada, Niagara, wherever. Right. I, I'm assuming they it went was. to Canada. They did. I mean, come on, don't mm-hmm. pull that bullshit mm-hmm. with them or minimize no. the story based off of an interracial tension. Nope. Because like I said, that might've been what was going on in the news but at not the time, with them. but it's not, it was not with them. Were they public? You said they were outspoken mm-hmm. about the fact yeah, that they they're were, like, a uh, no, they were very upset about that. Now, Jim McDonald, a resident of the area in which the Hills claimed to have been abducted. Oh, I'm intrigued. Has produced a detailed analysis of their journey, which concludes that the episode was provoked by their misperceiving an aircraft warning beacon on Cannon Mountain as a UFO. Ooh, I like this. Mm -hmm. He notes that the road the Hills took... The beacon appears and disappears at exactly the same time the Hills describe the UFO as appearing and disappearing. The remainder of the experience is ascribed to stress, sleep deprivation, and false memories that were, quote, recovered under hypnosis. After reading McDonald's uh, recreation, UFO expert Robert Schaefer writes that the Hills are the poster children for not driving when sleep deprived. 
And I agree with a lot of that. And sleep deprivation can do crazy things to you. I've been there. And remember I told you at 10 p.m. They were in a diner drinking coffee to stay awake and push themselves through the rest of the night to get home. So, and presumably so, they spent these three nights honeymooning. They were probably staying up late bumping uglies, then getting up early to tour the area, the falls and all that stuff. So they probably are, plus they're overworked. She's a CP worker he is a night working uh, um postal worker god i don't know i just i believe that the sleep deprivation can cause that type of a thing but both of them at the same time that is that is where i struggle i also and struggle at 10 p.m chanel or does this happen more about it 2 a.m 10 30 p.m is when yeah. the abduction are you happened. really sleep deprived 30 minutes after stopping for coffee at a diner girlfriend because that, i wouldn't be no and to to that extreme to where you're hallucinating no and i'm always coffee? going to go back good what point. was it were they oh, drugged fuck. were they drugged hey you know what that's actually a theory that has not come up in the research, but that is a damn good theory. And nobody took any chemical to, and like I'm not saying they were drug users, they didn't, but were no. they drugs? But also think of this too. When we were just talking about a black being, woman and a white you. man in a diner at 1030 at night. Yes. And was there. And people having issues go. with interracial couples at the time. See, now the thing that I said That's was a, a bunch theory. of bullshit. Just, but it's because of um, the, just the chemical attributes. Could they have been? But even then. Just because you are um, drugged, Charnel, doesn't mean that you're going to have the same experience as the person okay, that you're and, with. And that's what I was just going to say. But also, I still fall back on why did they have they have separate like their memories when they were together are the same, but then they both remember being separated and having different experiences similar that were similar different. yes they were similar in nature in that of being examined and whatnot so i do fall back on on that as well that there were notable differences there's notable differences where we can say we've you know betty clearly communicated more was more open to communicate with these beings right right and had a better experience than barney did he was terrified. He kept his eyes closed most of the times. It almost seemed like, I mean, they told him to close his eyes. So it almost seems like they could tell he was petrified. And so it was like a calming, like, okay, Charnel, then close your eyes. Men are very sensitive creatures when their junk gets messed with. Very true. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody suctioned cup, big Jim and the twins mm-hmm. and then stuck something up a starfish. That's true. That did without consent. No, correct. Yeah, he was it he is was very raped. He was sodomized he was. by aliens and mm-hmm. she doesn't report anything. Hey, you mentioned earlier that we later learned this was a pregnancy test. Yes. How did did that come up during hypnosis? In, in hypnosis. Yeah, the leader being had just uh told her. She asked Oh, what that was for, it hurt why it they and, did that. Mm-hmm. But he took and, the pain away. And he, yep, took the pain away, but he um, said that he, it was, or she said in hypnosis that it was a pregnancy test. Yeah. Did they ever have children? No. Oh. Not that, not that is uh, reported. No, okay. I do not believe that they did. That is interesting too. And what happens essentially to Betty is she becomes more and more vocal as, you know, in a time through the 80s, through the 90s, where we're no longer really willing to accept that these things happened. And so she just gets kind of chalked up as being like a, a crackpot, essentially, yeah. you know. But that, uh, I don't know. I think that they had very real experiences. Oh, another theory is that this one dude came forward and was like, listen, 
just so you know, there was a uh, a tele a television show that released in the 1950s and it seems very similar to this account and we think that this is where it came from and the oh um, like the they hills, filled their heads mm-hmm. with some television show instead and the hills are like um no i've not seen that show but nice try and i mean and truly there were differences too between their experience and what that is but yeah. this is a heavy time where UFO encounters are being reported, right? So there are some things that our brain might fill in. I mean, Betty herself had said she, her sister thought that she saw a flying saucer. And now for all of your conspiracy theory enjoyments, I will put out the possible fact that this was a U.S. government related type of experiment with a new aircraft. They were taken, experimented upon by people uh, from our own government and set forth to be part of an experiment. And there you all go for all of the crazies. Someone had to say it. Right. No, I I have that written in the notes. Okay, good. Because I feel better now. It's like then. Like I said, we're from the government. We're here to help. Then all of a sudden this stuff just stops. I feel like the government was done with their experiment. They're like, oh, hey, we got people to believe in aliens. Cool. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Look, they've uh, started organizations. Yeah. It could be an experiment on humans. We know this new amnesiac works great. Let's use this for surgeries. Yeah. (laughs) As they hand me my Versed. And I wake up later going, that was wonderful. That was great. Can I have some more? (laughs) Yes. Yep, yep, yep. So so there it is. There's the story. There's also, just so you guys know, I mean, I put some powder, some powder, some pop culture stuff in here. Um, the old TV series, The Outer Limits. Yeah, I remember The Outer Limits. So um, that was released. I mean, it went on for a while, but there was a an a episode where of Outer Limits that talked about the Bolero Shield. Okay, and that was released... February 22nd, 1964. Oh, I'm sorry. No. That was released February 10th, 1964. And Barney underwent his first hypnosis February 22nd, 1964. So only 12 days separated the two incidences talking about the Bolero shield, which was a, um, it's, it was described as like a wraparound eyes abduction. Okay, so like alien beings that had eyes that like wrapped all the way around their oh, head. Oh, the little green men and with then, the eyes around their head. Yeah. This is this is the aliens from the Toy Story movies. Yeah, kind of like that. Like those, but yes. And so um, one person pulled at that thread and said, you know, with as much as Barney talked about eyes and those eyes and all mm. of, of that thing, they think it came from this broadcast that happened just 12 days before. However... I mean, this that was 1964. Their encounter happened in 1961. Betty had wrote down her dreams in November, you know, uh, and the two, descriptions a month and a half. Yeah. So we can't kind of go there either. I, I don't know. It was it was just a thread. This it is was not something for us to solve anyway. This no. is just a good shocktober oh, case. I dig. I'll, I will post this too. But here's oh, their the drawing. Ship. Here's their drawing. Do you see that? You see all those little people in the, there's a red light on the side. They um, said, this is are how those it the looked. wings coming up there in the next picture. Yep. Yep. Those are the wings. It looks like a flying whopper. It does. Well, no, it looks uh, like Barney a- said it reminded him of a pancake. Okay. Like a stuffed pancake. Mm-hmm. Stuffed with aliens. <laughs> Look at 
at the little people in there, though. I mean, that's cute. It's a very primitive draw. I it could draw this. I could draw this also. Yeah. So it said this is how it looked when it was about 200 feet high. And then this is how it looked after shifting over the highway, descending to about 100 feet over the field. It had its wings out to hover. It did. It's hover wings. So I'm going to post those. Very okay. interesting. Right? Do you, you like that? You shocked me with this case. There was a point where all of a sudden it dawned. I'm like, you <laughs> bitch. You're giving me an alien abduction. Alien, yes. You tricked me. I love not telling you ahead of time what we're doing. Good, is good. The best. Do you want, though, a brain bath? Yeah, bathe Even me. Are you going to bathe fun. me with aliens or are you going to bathe no. with something else? Okay. No. This was sent. I'm going to bathe you with a listener brain bath. I love These listener These are my favorites, baths. you guys. Email us with brain bath in the subject title at crimecuriousyahoo.com. And um, if you have a funny story, we will read it on air and we will not use your names if you don't want. But actually, this was sent by Erica and she said, I don't fucking care if you use my name because it is hilarious. And it's a piggyback off from um, a previous brain bath that we used that sparked her memory. All right. Okay, so I you, like this too. Which brain bath was it? Do you remember the jellyfish in the wet? Yes, suit I bath? do. This, Very well. That was the, the trigger. She starts it with, Oh my God, I love the new shows. And I loved Megan and Jason's story about shitting in the box. It had me hyperventilating. <laughs> Anywho, on the Ashton Hall brain, brain bath with the jellyfish, I have a story. My father is a commercial fisherman, so clearly we are used to roughing it. My best friend, Laura, is a Pennsylvania Yankee bitch. Love it. That's fantastic. So she came to visit and my dad said he was taking us on the boat to pull crab pots. She was fascinated. She and my father partake in the devil's lettuce and natty lights. And she states that she has Natty daddies and devil's lettuce. Yes. (laughs) Sounds like a great day. Good choices get made after that, people. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, she has to pee. The boat has no bathroom. She asks me what to do. My father says, hang your ass over the railing. Amen, daddy. Yep. That's exactly what you do. It is. So basically, pee over the side of the boat. She was stoned, buzzed. And could hold it no longer. So my father and I turned the opposite direction to give her a little privacy. A little while later, I see the look of horror on her face and uncomfortable shifting. She looks at me terrified and says, what is this? I'm like, huh? She's like, my ass and vag are itchy and on fire. I asked her where she had sat. She points to the di- she points to it directly, and Dad pulls the crab pots up. Now, a lot of jellyfish get caught up in those crab pots. Crab pots. Yep. My dad realizes what is going on and is laughing hysterically. She had sat on remnants of jellyfish while relieving herself. Being a Yankee, she had never been stung by a jellyfish and thought she was going to die. <laughs> I am allergic to them. My dad, this would be so bad for you. Yes. My dad gave her some ice and water. She iced her badge while she, oh my God. How embarrassing. She said my dad gave her some ice and water and we had to again give her some privacy while she iced her badge. (laughs) This is my favorite story ever. I've seen my dad cry two times and this was one of them of laughter. (laughs) 
Oh, what a bad day. That's so funny. Here she is partaking in some of the devil's lettuce. and. Well, I mean, when you hang your ass off the boat, I mean, did she really dip that bitch right into the water then? Well, she's, yeah, probably off the end of it, off the ladder, whatever. And she's just sitting like right by the crab pots where they're. She wasn't making good they're choices. They're dangling and probably didn't realize those were the remnants of jellyfish, which, by the way, still have poisonous oh, yeah. barbs. Yeah, yeah. That, that's how I learned I was allergic was a Portuguese man of war that was obviously dead the on dead the beach. One. But its tentacle got wrapped around my ankle mm-hmm. and yeah. stung like a bitch. And I swelled up just like I got stung by a bee. Yeah. Yeah, it can be bad, but oh, that so is I'm a glad great her, story. Hopefully, her vag and ass have recovered since then, and she probably hasn't seen her friend's dad since because I don't think I could show my face. <laughs> not, not after you. Every hate. time you walk in, they're like, "Hey, how's the pussy?" Right? <laughs> Want a natty light? <laughs> a joint? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> also, I feel like when you're. Your friend's father has to make an ice pack for your vag. You're on a different level of friendship at that point in time. And he's like, here's cool off your puss, honey. (laughs) Can I get you anything? A natty, some devil's lettuce, an ice pack. Right, right. That's great. What a good story. Okay, well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And feel free to go to patreon slash crimecurious.com if you'd like to binge more exclusive content and also follow us on social media interact with us on social media we like talking to you guys we will respond i love responding it's my favorite yes and um, we hope you keep it curious and until next time everybody bye-bye